Uh, how, get the glasses on. How, how would you answer that question on the screen? It's one of those uh, big life questions. It's a question of identity. I am, have an accent. I am what? I am who? How would you finish that sentence? Take a moment, just, just on your own, by yourself. How would you finish that sentence as you answer the question, who am I? I am what? For many people, questions like this can kind of create a certain degree of anxiety or pressure because we're not entirely sure how to respond. Or where do, we, where do we turn to, where do we go to for an answer or, or for answers? There's a, there's a certain amount of, of confusion. You could say there's an identity crisis. So for example, do we define ourselves in terms of our roles, our jobs? So I am a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse. Do we define ourselves by our positions in say a family? So I am a mom, I am a dad, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. Do we define ourselves culturally or ethnically or socially or politically or religiously? Or what about online? Is our profile on various social media platforms a good presentation of who we are? Or is that more about the ideal me versus the real me? Is our online identity accurate or is it selectively skewed? Who are you? Who am I? How would you define yourself this morning? Now, this is important for lots of reasons. For example, identity determines behavior. Identity determines behavior. How you see yourself will profoundly impact how you do life. Your identity influences your perspective, your outlook, your choices, your decisions. It affects your attitude. It affects your understanding of yourself and of others. Identity matters in so many ways and at so many levels. And so today as we we start a new Sunday morning teaching series called True ID, which is based, as David has said, in the New Testament epistle of Ephesians, we are going to clarify Christian identity. Because that is what the Apostle Paul does, or it's a key part of what he does right at the start of his letter. He declares the true ID of all those who have said yes to Jesus. And so, if you are a Christian, if you have said yes to Jesus, then what we're about to do this morning is confirm your identity. Not just in a sentence, not just in a a slogan, but via 11 I am statements, maybe 12, depending on time, uh, that kind of flow out of the start of, of this brilliant book. And I want to suggest that if we can get this, if we can realize this, if we can see ourselves through the lens of these 11, maybe 12 statements, then it will make a massive difference to how you live and to how you do work and to how you do family and to how you do university or school, how you spend time with your friends, and beyond that as as well. So I I hope this morning that this will encourage you, 
might even excite you, because no Christian should be confused about their identity. No Christian should be confused about who they are. The who am I question should be a really easy one to answer for every single Christian. So before we, uh, we start reading Ephesians chapter 1, if you have a Bible and you want to turn to it, brilliant, you want to look it up on your device, that's great. But before we start reading from Ephesians chapter 1, let me give you a little bit of background and context. Lots of you know this. Ephesus was a big city. It was a commercial hub in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. The church there was initially quite small, in fact, very small. And it seems to have got off the ground under the influence of people like Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. And you can kind of read their story and the story of that church at the end of Acts chapter 18. But on one of his missionary journeys, these kind of journeys that Paul went on around that area, on one of his missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul calls at Ephesus to visit the tiny congregation. While he's there, he baptizes 12 of the men. Paul ends up staying for three months, and then for another two plus years, maybe even up to three years. And during that time, the church grows. As people from different backgrounds, Jewish background, Gentile backgrounds, people from different backgrounds and walks of life join in and say yes to Jesus. And Ephesus was also a pagan city, and the worship of the goddess, or the goddess Artemis Diana was front and central of religious life. But as a result of Paul's presence, and also as a result of people responding to Paul's message, the worship of Diana was suffering. And not only was the worship of Diana suffering, but the temple trade was going down the plug hole. And people were not very happy at this church and its influence in that area. And so on one occasion, a huge riot breaks out. And Paul is forced to leave Ephesus. He needs to do a runner. He never returned to Ephesus, although he did get close on another one of his missionary journeys. And on that occasion, from a place called Miletus, he sends for the elders of the Ephesian church, and he meets with them, and he instructs them about how to go on leading well the church that is back in Ephesus. But Paul eventually then writes a letter to the church but he has to do that from the confines of a prison cell, probably in Rome, and time-wise we're talking about 60 AD. And what we're going to do for the next four months, so this is going to take us right through to the very last Sunday in August. Now, no really, really, really good preachers can preach for about two or three years on the book of Ephesians. I can only manage four months, and that's a stretch, okay? But we're going to read this letter for the next four months. Let me also say something just as we get into this about the nature and the structure of this letter. In terms of of the nature, Ephesians is pretty unique compared to the other New Testament epistles. Many of you will know this. it's, It's not, it's one of the only ones that is not provoked by a problem. There doesn't appear to be any heresy. There doesn't appear to be any problem with people's behavior or belief, unlike most of the rest of the New Testament churches. The style and the language of Ephesians are quite different as well, or is quite different. It's more general. And also, there's no personal references to specific individuals in Ephesians, unlike Paul's other letters. So style-wise, this is different. Structure-wise, there are six chapters. Kind of neatly divides into two parts. The last three chapters are pretty grounded, more practical. 
As Paul gets down to kind of how we as Christians and how they as Christians in that place should relate to one another, should speak to one another, should do marriage, should do family life, how they should pray, how they should stand firm. It's all very practical, very grounded from chapter four on. Whereas the first three chapters, well, they're a bit more cosmic in scale, big picture, more technical in a sense, as Paul attempts to explain a number of vital and fundamental principles. And it's really, really important to see the second half of Ephesians through the filter of the first half. You must not rush this book, or you will miss so much. Most people just skip one, two, and three, actually, get the four, five, six. But we're not going to do that. Okay, let's start reading. We will stand a bit later on, but we're not standing just yet. So we're going to start reading, and for the purposes of this morning, let's start discovering or rediscovering our true identity. Here are the first two verses on the screen of Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So right up front, the author identifies himself. That's a usual practice at this time. Unlike us, we tend to sign our names at the end of letters. In those days, people put their name right up front. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He establishes his authority. He is an apostle by the will of God. So he's got some backing behind him. And then his recipients to the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, right from the outset, Paul nails three identifying features of his readers. Saints, the faithful, in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian here this morning, you are a saint. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. But if you are a Christian here this morning, that is your identity. I realize it's a word or it's a term that we tend to shy away from. Saint. And the reason we shy away from it is mainly because we think you need to be some kind of super or elite Christian to receive that title. But what it simply means, although simply is probably the wrong word, but what what it means is that you have been, that you are set apart to belong to God. That's what it means. Set apart to belong to God. Another word for that, you are holy. Holy. So some of you are holding translations where the opening verse actually reads, to the holy ones or to God's holy people in Ephesus. You are, if you are a Christian here this morning, you are cleansed, you are consecrated, you are dedicated to God. That is who you are, that is what you are. You are a saint. I'm not suggesting you go home this afternoon and put that up as your new Facebook status. It'll probably get misunderstood. But that is your identity if you are a Christian. That's where it's, I am a saint. Secondly, we're identified as the faithful. And what that basically means is you are believers. That is who you are. You are people who have placed your trust, you're placing your trust. You are people who have believed in and are believing in Jesus. We can sing, to quote a famous song, I am a believer. 
And that then takes us on to the kind of this third element of our true ID. We are in Christ Jesus. And what we'll very quickly discover, and this is well known, that phrase, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, in him, is the Apostle Paul's favorite identifying feature of all Christians. In fact, in the next 11 verses, so 12 times in the opening 14 verses, we come across this phrase, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, in Jesus, in him. And if you are a Christian, what this confirms is that you are personally and vitally united to Jesus. You're like branches to the vine. You are one with him. And you are one with each other. Because you're also the body of Christ. You are members of his body. You are in Christ. You're united with him. You're vitally connected to him and to each other. So here we have one verse in, and Paul has identified or given, clarified the identity of those he's writing to, the identity of the Ephesian Christians, the identity of every single Christian. Incidentally, some of you will know this, the earliest manuscripts do not include reference to Ephesus in the first verse. And that's partly because, or it's reckoned it's because this letter, as I said earlier, is more general in style, and therefore it was intended, it was primarily intended as a kind of circular correspondence that was written to and for all the churches in the region of Asia Minor, which had been planted from Ephesus. So yes, it was for the Ephesian Christians, but it was also for Christians that were scattered throughout that area, and it also includes us here this morning. So back to our opening question, who am I? I am a saint. I am a believer. I am in Christ Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. I just want us to pause for a moment. And if you are a Christian, I want you to just read those three statements over to yourself. I am a saint. I am a believer. I am in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. And Paul doesn't want his readers to forget this. Paul doesn't want his readers to be unsure, to be confused. And and so right from the word go, right in the space of the first two verses, he nails their identity. Okay. Three down, eight, maybe nine to go. Let me just make a few comments about the initial greeting. Verse two, greeting, sorry, greeting, greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those were again customary greetings, yes, grace and peace, but they were massively important because those themes are gonna get stressed and they're gonna get teased out in the bulk of this letter. God's grace, we've been singing about it. God's grace, his undeserved kindness, his unmerited mercy and love, that is what underpins our identity. The reason we are saints, the reason we are the faithful, the reason we are in Christ Jesus is because of, and it's all because of God's amazing grace. We've done nothing to deserve it. We can do nothing to contribute to it or gain it. But our identity is all about grace. We are who we are, and we can say, I am a saint, I am, the, I am a believer, I am in Christ. We can say that because of grace. And we're at peace with God. And so Paul says, 
peace, grace and peace. You are at peace with God. You are reconciled to him. You're reconciled to each, each other. And Paul's going to go on to explain that in the next chapter. But for now, it headlines in the opening greeting so that we don't miss it or forget it. Grace, peace, not from me, but from their true source, from God our Father. And from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it would be really easy to quickly move on and just keep reading. But that phrase, that final phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, it's familiar to us, rolls off the tongue, we do move on quickly. But it would have been explosive to these first recipients and in that original context. An explosive phrase, Lord Kyrios. That was a title that was associated with Caesar. So whenever Caesar entered an arena or a public space in the first century, people would rise to their feet and they would greet him by his own command as, Heal Caesar, Kyrios and Soter, Lord and Savior. Caesar was seen as to be master, to be in charge, to be in control, to be the number one. And so to call Jesus Lord, that was revolution revolutionary language. And then to include Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, well, that added a whole new dimension. That's not Jesus' surname. It was confirmation that he was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. He was the one the prophets Isaiah had promised would come. He was the hope of the entire world. Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Paul brings greetings and as he begins this letter, Jesus occupies every opening sentence. Three times in two verses, Jesus is referred to. Why? Because our identity is found in and comes from him. And then Paul lets loose. The greeting is over. Then he lets loose. And we're about to stand need a change of position. We're about to stand and read the next 12 verses, over uh, 200 words. But you know, and again, lots of you do know this, but in the original Greek, verses 3 to 14 make up one single sentence. Paul appears to take a deep breath and then outflows this continuous cascade without punctuation, without full stops. It's a monstrous sentence conglomeration, according to one scholar. But it seems that Paul is wanting his readers to grasp the sheer sky, size, scale, bigness of the world into which they live and breathe and have their being. It's a sentence that is packed with complexities at one level, which is why really, really good preachers can speak on this uh, book for years. But it's packed with complexities, but it also serves to clarify our true identity. And so with that in mind, can I invite you to stand to your feet, take a deep breath, and inhale this in. I'm going to try to read this really quick. I know that generally annoys most people when I do that, but, I'm, but that's okay. Uh, so I'm going to read it really, really quick. It's going to be on the screen. I'm not going to pause really in too many places. We're just going to go for it. So big, deep breath. Inhale. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we also have obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Glory. Amen. Grab a seat. Now, as I said, there's just so much in there, isn't there? So much in there. But let me stick with this idea of Christian identity, our identity. And let me just keep adding to the list. So here's our list. Let me add one more thing. And the fourth thing is we are, I am blessed. God has blessed us. And we can track this idea right back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Adam was blessed. He was the first to be blessed. And then post-flood, Noah was blessed. Then Abraham is blessed. And he and his family were to go and be a blessing to others. And on and on it goes, or so it was meant to anyway. But now in Christ and because of Christ, we, you and I, are blessed. That is part and parcel of our identity. And notice we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're blessed with, like this, this is mind. you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. Paul is going to go on to explain some of those in the rest of his letter, but for now, can we accept and recognize that you are cosmically blessed? You can try to count your blessings, but you'll never name them all. You're cosmically blessed. Blessed. That is our identity. I am blessed. Paul goes on. Not only blessed, but you are chosen. God has chosen you to be one of his holy people, to be saints. And get this, that was no late decision on God's part, a kind of afterthought. He chooses us before the foundation creation of the world. Now, whatever is going on in your head right now, don't allow this fact about your true ID to get hijacked. In the Old Testament, individuals appear to have been chosen. Or a people group. The Israelites were God's chosen people. But here, as this church in Ephesus listens in as Paul's letter is read to them, a church that is made up, as I said, of Jews and of Gentiles, they discover that in Christ they are all chosen. And they were chosen before day and stage one of creation. It's mind-blowing. It's another cosmic reality regarding their identity, our identity as Christians. You can sit here this morning, if you are a Christian, and you can affirm, you can confirm, you can say, who am I? I am chosen. Paul goes on. 
Then we're adopted. Is that on the screen or falling off the bottom? Just on? It's not on the bottom. Anyway, we are adopted into the family of God. I am, you are a child of God. What Paul actually says is, or he says, God destined us to be sons and daughters. That was, that is our identity. Now, that word is close, has close affinities with chosen, but it's slightly different because it clarifies our destination. We are in, we are part of, we belong to the family of God. And if you are a Christian, that is another aspect of your identity. You can sit here this morning and say, I am a child of God. I'm adopted in, that's my destiny. I am adopted into God's family. Now, I know some of you are slightly distracted at the moment because words and ideas like election and predestination are rearing up in your minds. Lots of you are smiling at me. I think you're smiling at me. Yeah, lots of you are. <laughs> I can't actually know. That's why I keep these on. Uh, but look, Paul is writing here to a church Please get this. He's writing to Christians and he's explaining who they are in Christ, who we are in Christ. And therefore, if we're not careful, we will head off on a tangent that isn't the issue, that isn't an issue in Paul's opening remarks and declaration of praise regarding who we are in Christ. He's, what Paul is saying, listen, you're chosen, you're adopted, you're a child of God, you're a son or daughter of God. Will you embrace that? That is who you are as Christians. Embrace it. Celebrate it. See yourself through that lens. Don't allow this to get hijacked. And the sentence goes on. We are, I'm having to reduce the font to squeeze it all in now. We are covered in grace. This is what it says. His glorious grace has been bestowed on us. Poured out on us is what it says in verse 6. In other words, we are soaked in grace. Or in verse 8, grace has been lavished on us. It's been showered on us. If you like, we are drenched in God's grace. Our identity is determined by who God is and all that he has done for us in Christ. As I said earlier, we've done nothing to deserve it. We don't, we can't contribute to it. It's all grace. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you are soaked in it. That's your identity. I am covered in grace. And what that includes, says Paul, includes your redemption and your forgiveness. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he's lavished upon us. You see, Jesus shed his blood for me, died for me, and therefore I am redeemed, I am rescued, I am free, I am forgiven, I'm no longer guilty in the eyes of Almighty God. That is my identity in Christ and in the light of the cross of Christ. So the picture builds. Who am I? Wow. And two more identifying features because time's almost gone. 
And I know there are more in here, but let me jump down to verse 13 and 14, near the end of Paul's long sentence, because the Trinitarian aspect of this opening section is important, because Paul does put it out there. Father, Son, Spirit, it's all in here. And what does he say? He says, you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And as a result of being sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, you are secure. A seal was a mark of ownership. And because the Ephesians and because we believe in Jesus, God's word teaches you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us who have said yes to Jesus are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit, says Paul, is the guarantee of your inheritance. Which amongst a whole pile of other things means you're secure. You're secure. You're sealed by the Spirit. Guarantees your inheritance. You're secure. And so as we begin to read our way through this important letter, And way before we get to how we're meant to live this Christian life out, four, five, and six, we need to understand, we need to appreciate who we are. We need to be clear, we need to be encouraged about our true ID. I am a saint. I am a believer. I am in Christ. I am blessed. I am chosen. I am adopted. I am a child of God. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. I am drenched in grace. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I am sealed and I am secure. And if we can honestly get that, then our identity will determine our behavior and how we go from here and do life. And I want us to just, at the end of the service, I want us to take a moment and, and again, read these 11 sentences to yourself and give thanks. You know, some of us, lots of us, most of us are Christians, but some of us have forgotten who we are. We've forgotten who we are. And we've allowed other things and other people to define us. And it's it's impacting how we live, and it's not impacting us in a good way. And so if you are a Christian here this morning, and you've forgotten who you are, or you struggle with that question, who am I? Then this is who you are. This is who you are. And if you're here this morning, you're, you're a not yet Christian. And this doesn't resonate. This, this isn't who you are. Your identity is found or you're trying to find it who knows where. And you're struggling to know exactly who you are. Then can I invite you to say yes to Jesus and to accept him as your Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the silence, if you're a Christian, Read through this list. Read through this list and embrace who you are as we start out in this journey. Take a moment.
Almighty God, we sit before you in awe, in reverence, in worship. And we want to say thank you this morning that we're saints, that we're believers, that we are in Christ Jesus, that we're chosen, we're adopted, we're drenched in grace, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're saved, and we're secure. And I pray, God, that we would go from here this morning and live out our identity to the praise of your glory. Amen.